I wonder how excited you get over the prospect of spending eternity in the wonderful and intimate fellowship with Jesus, our Lord and Savior. Perhaps it's not something that, you, that occupies a great deal of your thoughts and imagination. Maybe you sort of leave that to the area of wishful or consider it as daydreaming. But I want to ask you another question. It's a serious question. Just imagine for one moment that you received a personal letter from Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth, and it was a special invitation for you to spend a week's holiday with her and her family at Balmoral. You checked it out and found that it was perfectly genuine, and she definitely wanted you personally to share this week's holiday with her. I wonder how excited would you get? What would you do to prepare for that event? What would you plan about what you were going to wear and how you were going to speak with her for the whole of that week? Now, obviously and clearly, that's very much a daydream because it's so unreal, it's not likely to happen to any one of us. This summer, Yvonne and I, with the rest of our family, spent two weeks in Scotland, and we were not very far from Balmoral, but we were certainly not invited to go inside. But, and this I think to be even more amazing, the first question I asked was not a daydream. It was based on the totally reliable promise of God. For Jesus, the King of kings and Lord of lords, has already sent you, sent each one of us, a personal invitation to spend eternity with him in his royal residence. I've not made that up. Each one of you know that it's true. But do you think about it? Does it excite your heart? Do you spend any of your time making positive preparations for that day? I want to reread just a couple of verses from our reading this evening, from the beginning. I'm going to read it this time from the, um, the New Living Translation. Since you have been raised to new life with Christ... Set your sights on the realities of heaven, where Christ sits at God's right hand in the place of honor and power. Let heaven fill your thoughts. Do not think only about things down here on earth, for you died when Christ died, and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who, who, is you, who is your real life, is revealed to the whole world, you will share his glory. Let heaven fill your thoughts. Well, does heaven fill your thoughts? I have to confess that it doesn't mine, at least most of the time, and I expect you're probably very much like me. 
Your thoughts get occupied with so much of the trivial day-to-day routine and activities, planning meals, shopping, daily work and occupation, your hobby activities, perhaps thinking about next year's holiday, or maybe a trip to the cinema, theatre, the garden centre, or whatever. You might even spend a little time thinking about what you're going to wear coming to church next week. But whatever it is, I suspect that it's not often about heaven. Today, just for a little while, I want you to let heaven fill your thoughts. I want you to set your sights on the realities of heaven, as Paul put it in verse 1. Jesus, our Lord, is this, at this very moment seated at God's right hand, exercising his rightful position and authority as Messiah, the only Lord and Savior of mankind. He's gone there ahead of us in order to prepare a place for you. He has said so himself. It, it is his promise to you if you are a believer, a true child of God. You can check it out for yourself in John's Gospel, chapter 14 and verse 2. Read it for yourself and you will find that it is true. So this evening I want us to think about heaven for a short while. First of all, (coughs) the prospect of going to heaven. And secondly, the preparations that we need to make for heaven. And finally, the possession of heaven in our hearts right now. One day, you are going to go there for eternity, to be with Christ in the heavenly realms. Does this prospect fill you with joyful anticipation? God himself has promised this in his word long years ago. He began to make preparations for that day. The very first words of the Bible are, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And yet so much of the Bible is about life here on earth and our relationship to our maker. But there are throughout the Bible insights into the reality of heaven. Jacob, on one of his travels through the wilderness, came to Bethel and found it an awesome place. To him, it was just like the house of God. And so he described it as the gateway to heaven. Jacob was all alone. He was there in the vast expanse of God's wonderful world. And alone with nature, he felt himself in the very presence of God. I've mentioned that this year we had a holiday in Scotland. It was in a former farmhouse and it was several miles away from anywhere, with just a few scattered uh, farm dwellings nearby. We could walk up into the hills and not meet another person. In an atmosphere like that, it's so much easier to think of God and heaven. It was, in fact, whilst I was there 
uh, this summer, and I was reading through Colossians 3 uh, one day, and these words really struck home to my heart. Set your thoughts upon heaven. And I then began to seek God as to whether it was this theme that the Lord wanted me to share with you this evening, knowing that I was already um, booked to come here tonight. When the Bible uh, speaks of heaven, it is often referring to the sky and stars above, to the abode of the eternal place. It is used as a euphemism for God in his majesty and perfection. Glory to God in the highest, which is heaven. And so in Psalm 19, David writes, the heavens tell of the glory of God. The skies display his marvelous craftsmanship. The sun lives in the heavens where God placed it. And all this contemplation filled David, uh, filled all his thoughts with the beauty and perfection of God's laws. So much so that he could describe them as more desirable than gold even the finest gold, sweeter even than honey. Do you not get the picture that King David was enraptured with the thoughts of God's rule in his kingdom in heaven? He lived much of his life in the very presence of God. So much so that the Bible tells us that David was a man after God's own heart. But even then, King David could fall very deeply into sin, and he experienced times when God seemed far away. He writes in another psalm, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why do you remain so distant? Why do you ignore my cries for help? Every day I call upon you, my God, but you do not answer. Every night you hear my voice, but I find no relief. But now listen to David in another psalm, Psalm 27. The one thing I ask of the Lord, the thing I seek most, is to live in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, delighting in the Lord's perfections and meditating in his temple. Surely you would have to say that heaven filled David's thoughts. Or take the Apostle John on the Isle of Patmos. He had the wonderful vision in which he saw and heard the Lord and gazed upon the realities of heaven. In Revelation 21, we read these words. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, For the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared, and the sea was also gone. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven like a beautiful bride prepared for her husband. I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, Look, the home of God is now among his people. God himself will be with them. 
this was all so real for the Apostle John that he constantly lived in the presence of God and his eternal home in heaven. And what about Paul, who penned the words and theme for my text this evening? He was always speaking of his relationship to Christ in heaven. When he wrote to the Philippians, he said, Forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead, I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the prize for which God, through Christ, is calling me up to heaven. Earlier in the same letter, he wrote, For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. Paul clearly had his thoughts filled with heaven, the dwelling place of Jesus, the Messiah. What about you? Are you getting ready for heaven? Does the whole prospect of heaven fill your life with joyful expectation? My wife, Yvonne, who's with me this evening, um, she leads a Bible study at Colchester Road Church on a Monday afternoon. It's mainly for the uh, more elderly in the church, and four of those who attend are, in fact, over 90. The oldest is 94, and he's a delightful brother who's still very young in spirit, and he's full of the joy of the Lord, and regularly he speaks with excited anticipation of going to be with Jesus in heaven. Are you like that yet? Does this prospect of being in heaven fill you with joy and eager anticipation? If it does, then we need to be prepared for that day. For once we are sure we have this prospect of spending eternity with the Lord in heaven, then we need to ask ourselves, what preparations should we be making for that day? When you go on holiday, you need to prepare. If you're moving house, you very much need to prepare to pack, and get ready for the final move. And I am sure that if you were to receive an invitation from our Queen, you would feel it necessary to prepare for that event. What about getting ready for heaven? Are you ready for that day? Paul tells us quite a lot about this in his letters, and there is much in the passage we have read this evening from Colossians chapter 3. He's, he sets out to describe many of the things that we need to eliminate from our lives in order to make sure that we're getting ready to meet him in his glory. He says there in that passage, "...put to death whatever belongs to your earthly nature, those sinful things lurking within you. He is writing to born-again believers, and he makes that very clear. He says here in this passage, you have clothed yourselves with a brand new nature that is continually being renewed as you learn more and more about Christ, who created this new nature within you. 
only a Christian who has this new nature within. So these are the people he is talking to. But we know we all still have so much rubbish in our lives that to, to deal with. And so Paul is constantly warning us of those things that are necessary for us to be prepared for that day. He tells us here there are negative things to avoid and positive things to affirm. What do we need to avoid and stay clear of? Well, he makes it quite clear there that all forms of sexual immorality have to go. That would include lust and all shameful desires, such things as homosexuality, pornography, pedophilia, the wrong use of chat rooms on the internet, and other such wrong behavior. But Paul also tells us that we have to guard against greed, anger, malicious behavior, slander, bad language, lying, cheating, and all forms of dishonesty. Anyone who practices these things will never get to heaven, says the Word of God. So the Christian preparing to live in heaven will be very careful to guard against this kind of behavior, which is sadly so common in the world all around us. But then there are many positive qualities we need to embrace. And these include humility, kindness, gentleness, patience, not forgetting forgiveness and love. And those last two are two of the most important Christian qualities or virtues. Jesus has told us, you remember, that we are to shine as lights in a dark world. And surely if all the Christian churches throughout this land were filled with Christians who totally demonstrated these and other good qualities upheld in the Word of God, would it not be a very powerful effect upon the witness, our witnessing to the perishing world all around us? Certainly we have good news to tell to the nation, but we are also called upon to show to the nation, to show to our neighbors around us the good news by the way we live our daily lives. Now, I've mentioned forgiveness and love. These are so important that I suppose really we need a sermon or more on each one of them alone. We won't get to heaven unless we have embraced and put into practice these Christ-like virtues. You remember what Jesus said? If you do not forgive men their sins, then your Father will not forgive your sins. And the Apostle John, when he was writing about love, underlining the teaching of Jesus, said, whoever loves God must not ought or should, but must also love his brother. Let me read to you what he writes from verse 7 in 1 John 4. Dear friends, 
Let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only Son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we love God, but that God loved us and sent his Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love each other, God lives in us, and his love is made complete in us. Surely love, the quality of love that Jesus showed, is one of the most important things that we need to possess in order to witness in the world today. Our nation, and indeed the world, is having to learn these days of how to live with Islamic terrorism. There will be no terrorists in heaven. But the Christian attitude and approach to all Muslims should be marked by spelling out that word love as we, use, as we think about Islam. And if you take the letters of the word Islam and make an acrostic using each of those letters and spell it like this, I sincerely love all Muslims, then that will show us how we need to approach this situation. For the only way we are going to win over the terrorists, the only way we're going to win through to the minds and hearts of those people is through the love of Jesus Christ. I'm the representative at the Colchester Road Church for the Barnabas Fund, the organization that seeks to support and pray for the persecuted Christians in the suffering world, and particularly the, those living in Islamic countries. I've left some information about this and a, a petition that's being drawn up at the moment with is it Angela um, before the service. And um, if you want to know more about Barnabas Fund and the, te- the writings of Dr. Patrick Sukdeo, I'd be pleased to tell you more at another time. But Paul, in that passage, speaking about preparing for heaven, tells us these things, and he ends that section in his writing with worship and thankfulness. So if we are going to get ready for heaven, we must regularly be engaged in worship, the worship of God's people. It is important that we all prepare for heaven So I need to ask this evening whether you are all Christians here tonight. I assume that you are, but maybe there are those of you who have not yet made a full commitment to Jesus Christ. From a lot of what I've said already, 
you might say, oh well, all it means is I have to just live a good, honest, decent and upright life and I will get to heaven. A lot of people think like that, including many respectable church members. But that will not get you to heaven. First of all, you must be saved from your sins. It is not by living a good life. It is not by following a particular religion. It is not simply by trying your best and believing all will be well. It is not even by attending regularly a Christian church. There is only one way to heaven, and that is through Jesus Christ, the Son of God and the true Lord of all life. Jesus said, I am the way. No man can come to the Father except he comes through me. This is the only way to God and receive eternal life in heaven. For as Acts 4, chapter 12 tells us, verse 12 tells us, salvation is found in no one else. There is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. I'm sure you've heard that many times already. But if you have not yet received him, if you have not personally accepted Jesus Christ into your life as saviour, then I want to say to you tonight, now is the time to do so. If you want any help in that way, then see either Simon or Claire or myself after the service, and we'd be only too pleased to help you. But there's just one more thing I want to say tonight, and that is, do you live today in the presence of heaven? And this means to daily live with Jesus Christ as your Lord and Saviour and personal friend. Paul said earlier in that letter, Christ in you, the hope of glory. He also spoke in that chapter about the hope that is stored up for you in heaven. Paul's testimony was this, the life I live in the body, I live by faith, in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul knew that he could live in heaven now because he lived daily in Christ as his Lord. So here Paul encourages encourages us to allow the peace of Christ to rule in our hearts and for the word of Christ to dwell richly in our lives and activities. (coughs) As we go about our daily lives, then everything should be done in the light and against the background of eternity. The Christian will no longer live as if this world were all that mattered, for his eyes will be focused on Jesus in heaven. If you're going to prepare for the prospect of living in heaven, then it means living now in the presence of God as your constant companion. Do you live in the presence of Jesus every day? There are many people through the centuries who have shown us how to do this, Brother Lawrence in the 15th century was one of these. There's a small 
booklet that, you can, that is still available today in most Christian bookshops entitled, The Practice of the Presence of God. In that helpful book, you can read how he exercised this in his daily life. Wherever he was, whatever he was doing, he did it all for the love of God. He tells us, our only business was to love and delight ourselves in God. He also tells us that he was as close to God in his daily work as he was in the place of prayer. He sought to live daily in the presence of Jesus. I wonder, do you know the story of Bilquis Sheikh, a high-born Muslim lady of noble birth in Pakistan? She had an encounter with Jesus Christ which changed her life. In her testimony, she tells us that one day in her garden, she felt a strange delight and joy, a peace beyond anything she had known before. She says it was as if she were in the presence of God. She'd been going through a very difficult time in her life and found no help from her Muslim background and the Quran. She began to have dreams and visions which led her to read the Bible, the Christian Bible. She had some amazing experiences and discovered God as her loving, heavenly Father. She came to know Jesus as her Lord and Savior, and she learned how to live every day of her life in the glory of the Lord's presence. In her story, she quotes a, uh, in, in the story she wrote, she quotes a prayer she prayed in the early days of her Christian life. O oh Lord, she prayed, could the heaven you speak of be any better than this? To know you is joy. To worship you is happiness. To be near you is peace. This is heaven. It's an amazing story, a very moving story, and if you've never read it, I'd like to recommend it to you. It is called, I Dared to Call Him Father by Bilqis Sheikh. The last two sentences of the book read like this, my only joy was staying in his presence. As long as I could stay there, I knew that I would be living in the glory. Then there's the story of Basilish, Dr. Basile Schlink of the Evangelical Sisterhood of Mary in Darmstadt, Germany. It's quite likely that you may never have heard of her, even though she was one of the most significant prophetic Christian voices since the end of the Second World War. Her autobiography is entitled, A Foretaste of Heaven. She learned to live so close to Jesus that it was like living in the glory of heaven. Her message includes both an uncompromising call to repentance and a proclamation of the joyous message of the kingdom of heaven. Her love for Jesus has blessed many people's lives, including my own. 
The Sisterhood of Mary, which she and a friend founded right at the end of the Second World War, is made up today of both men and women who seek daily to live in the presence of Jesus and whose thoughts are constantly filled with heaven. She had learnt for herself what it means to become a bride of Jesus Christ and taught through her writings what it means to have first love for Jesus and to be chosen as a bride of Jesus and how to prepare for that day when the wedding feast of the Lamb takes place as described in Revelation 19. In the Sisterhood of Mary, they regularly have celebrations which they call the Festival of Heaven, where they rejoice and praise God in preparation for the day we will all be with Jesus in the glory of heaven. I hope and pray that each one of you this evening holds very dearly in your heart that prospect of going to heaven and that you have been and still will continue to prepare for that day. And even more so, that you will possess the joy of heaven in your hearts as you live close to Jesus day by day and hour by hour. Amen.